So for the last two weeks, uh, we've had a couple of guest speakers. So if you were here two weeks ago, you'll have heard Nathan Smith uh, speaking to us from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Last week, we had Mark Stiance uh, come and speak to us from uh, Matthew 16. And it's been great to, to hear from them. They're both very good friends of ours. And to hear what they've had to say, well, what God has had to, to say to us as a church um, through them. So this week, we're starting a new series, um, as Mark mentioned um, last week briefly. So next weekend is the weekend away. Uh, so we're starting the new series today. We're going to carry it on for the three weeks um, after the weekend away. So just a reminder, in case you missed it earlier, don't come here next week. All right, we're not here. We're in Chepstow. Um, so we're looking forward to that. So the new series that we're starting um, today is a, is a value series. We're looking, thinking about one of our church values. So we do this three times a year. Um, sort of start in the, the middle and the end of the year. Um, we, we think that it's really important to keep our values as a church front and centre, and the best way to do that is by preaching through them. So as a church, we have a set of values that we want to kind of shape us and define who we are as a church. And they're in three categories. Loving God, loving one another, and loving our neighbour. Right, so in January, we preach about loving God in some kind of aspect. Uh, middle of the year, around now, we preach through loving one another. And then in September, it's loving our neighbour. So the series we're starting today and continuing after the weekend away is all about loving one another. So important. We really want to be a church who, first of all, love God. We, we want to love him passionately because he's first loved us. And then we want to be a church who, whose love for God spills over in love for each other, to be a genuine community where we're being honest and caring for each other, where there's vulnerability and transparency and openness and where we grow. And then we want that love for each other to spill over into our love for our neighbours and to reach people outside the church and draw them in and offer to them the love that we're enjoying and that we've experienced from God. So that's the vision for the church. We want to be loving God, loving each other, and loving our neighbour. And a massive part of that is loving each other. How do we live as a church? How do we function as a church? How do we care for each other and stay close as a church. And that's what we're going to be thinking about for the next four Sundays that we're here. So we knew this series was coming up. So we, we said to uh, Nathan and, and Mark, who, who've been here the last two weeks, we said to them, uh, preach on the subject of church, nice and general, and uh, just do what you want. Come and, and serve us and, and preach on the subject of church. We had no idea what they'd be speaking on. We prayed and, you know, God spoke. And it's great, isn't it, to hear God speak through people who aren't from the church. They come in from the outside and it's been really encouraging. So two weeks ago, Nathan uh, spoke about who we are as a church, our identity from 1 Peter chapter 2. We've been called out of the world and we've been called to be a reflection of God and who he is and declare his praises. Identity. Last week, uh, Mark from Matthew reminded us of our future as a church. Jesus says, I will build my church and nothing can stop that from happening. We've got a, a sure and a certain and a guaranteed future. And in light of that, we're meant to be People who live out his life, the life of the cross. We're meant to deny ourselves and go the way of the cross. And that's the most beautiful, joyful life we can imagine. So that was last week. So what I want to do today is to really build on those last two weeks. Our church's identity and the church's future and calling. And I also want to kind of just set up the rest of our value series that's coming up. And we're going to do that by going to the book of Ephesians. So if you've got your Bibles, please... Open them to this black Bible is page 976. 976. Now, Ephesians is a great book for us to go to as we think about being a church and loving each other, because those are two massive themes in the book of Ephesians. Uh, love comes up all the time in Ephesians. In fact, Paul uses the word love 
more than twice as often in Ephesians as he does in any of his other letters. The frequency is more than twice as high, that word love. And it's also a book that's all about the church. Who is the church? What's the church called to do? It's a great place for us to turn as we think about what it means to be a church and to love each other as a church. All right. So in our series, we're going to be looking, focusing on chapter 4 of Ephesians. So the, the, the three weeks after the weekend away, first three Sundays in June, we're going to do preach three sermons in, in Ephesians chapter 4. So we're really excited about that because Ephesians chapter 4 is all about living as a church. How do we live as a church? Just to give you a sneak preview, have a look at chapter 4 verse 1. This is really kind of setting up where we're going with this series. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So we're calling this series Walk. Very simple. We want to be a church that walks in unity, that walks in holiness, that walks in togetherness, and walks in purity, that walks in the light of Christ, walks in love. Okay? But Paul says something more. He doesn't just say walk. He says walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. Okay? So what I want to do today, before we get to chapter 4, is to think about, well, what is that calling? What is the calling that we've received as a church? What is our calling as a church? Because it's only when we're clear on that that we'll know how to walk in a manner worthy of it, right? We need to be really clear on what our calling is as a church, who we are, what we've been called to do, so we can then live that out. So what I'm going to do today is to focus really on chapter 3, to think about what's our calling as a church. And I'll give you a, a, a sneak preview again. Our calling is bigger than you could ever have imagined. Bigger than you could ever have imagined. All right, that's where we're going. Before we get to chapter 3... We need to get a bit of background to the book of Ephesians. We need to be aware of what was going on, what the situation was that Paul was writing into, before we can understand what he's really getting at in the letter. All right, so Ephesians uh, was written by Paul while he was in prison, almost certainly in prison in Rome, the imprisonment that we read at the, about at the end of Acts. And he was written to the church in Ephesus, but actually to the churches around Ephesus as well. It was probably a circular letter written to a number of churches. And these churches were made up of both Jews and Gentiles, right? So Gentiles are non-Jews, people not from a Jewish background. And this church in Ephesus where he'd, he'd spent some time, he'd lived there, he'd, he'd planted the church, and the churches around were made of these, these people from two very different backgrounds, right? The Jews, very uh, strongly religious, very proud of their religious tradition and heritage. They were very strict about keeping the law, Sabbath day observances, uh, eating laws, um, all these kinds of things, un- uncleanness, uh, very, very sort of, uh, religious and strict. Gentiles, completely different. Couldn't be more different. Also very religious, but uh, polytheistic, worshipping many gods, most of the Gentiles at that time, rather than monotheistic, worshipping one god. There was a massive clash, really, a clash of cultures, and huge potential in these churches of Jew and Gentile for division. Huge potential for tension between these two groups. How are they going to get along? How are Jews, ethnic Jews, and Gentiles who the Jews kept a distance from. They were unclean. How are they going to work? How are they going to live together in one church, in one body? And Paul's writing the letter of Ephesians into that situation, the situation of division. Now, before we go any further, I want us to think about the question, well, how do we connect with that situation? It's very tempting and easy when we go to the Bible to think, oh, that was then, and it's all different now. We're not, you know, we don't have Jew and Gentile issues in this church. So, you know, where's the relevance? I want to say, well, it is different, but actually, there's a lot of similarity as well, a lot of overlap between their situation and ours. Don't we experience division 
in our society today? I'll give you an example, just one word, Twitter, right? You don't have to look very far on Twitter to see someone abusing someone in the strongest possible terms or receiving abuse because they have differences of opinion. It feels like almost more than ever, politics, the left and the right, is is polarised. People are at each other's throats. There's, There's division all the time, there's anger under the surface. But it's not just differences of opinion, right? There are differences of opinion, there always will be, about politics, causes, anything you wish to imagine. But there's also something more tangible in our society than just opinions that, that causes division. There's, there's an, some inequality, isn't there? Uh, we've, um, the last few weeks, been getting uh, party political leaflets through our door for the uh, upcoming European elections. Anyone had those? These little leaflets from the parties? Well, quite amusing, really. And uh, th- there was one phrase that stuck out from one of these leaflets. Uh, it just made me smile. And it made me think. It said this. Uh, our, I won't tell you who, who it was from, but you can probably guess. Our country has never been more unequal. It made me smile. I thought, wow, never's a big word, right? Never's a big word. Our country has never been more unequal. Are they including the whole of British history in that? <laughs> including the medieval period where incredibly wealthy landowners lived alongside peasants who were illiterate and were in slavery? That's quite unequal, I think. But anyway... Uh, Yeah, we won't go into that. (laughs) It's a bit of a hard claim to sustain that our country has never been more unequal. But but when they say that, it made me think, because they're onto something, aren't they? And we do see inequality in our society. And when someone says that, it kind of strikes a chord with us. Because there are big gaps between rich and poor. There are massive differences between the kind of opportunities people get just from where they're born and the kind of family they live in. And it's, it's it's a big deal. And it's so easy when there are these kind of actual inequalities and divisions in society, to, for there to be a distance and division between us, right? We experience this all the time. An example. It's so easy. If you think back to the, the friends that you've made for the last uh, 10 years, just for example, and this is where it kind of gets a bit close to home, uh, how, easy is to, to, how easy is it to befriend people who are just like us? who are just similar to us, have the same backgrounds, the same interests, the same tastes. Wherever you've made those friends from, whether it's the school gate, whether it's through your study, whether it's your neighbours, however you've made those friends, how easy is it to only befriend people who are like us? How easy is it to view people who are different to us with suspicion? Or to judge them? Or to just feel distance? To feel different? It's so easy. It happens not just at a national level, it happens at a local level. It happens inside our hearts as well. Talking about judging people, if we're honest, if we're honest, we all find it easy, don't we, to judge people who are different to us. We don't say it, but it's, it's there. Just uh, last week, the, the Jeremy Kyle show got axed from ITV. I'm sure you'll have read about it in the news. It's actually really tragic what happened. Um, the guy who was a guest on the show um, committed suicide. Um, because of what happened, because he was exposed as, as having committed adultery on the show, and he was devastated, and he took his own life. And there's been all kinds of talk about this, this show this week, and I've, I've kind of been following it because it's, it's intriguing. It's, it's like it sort of lifts a lid on our hearts as a society. And a couple of things that have been said in the news this week have just stood out to me. Um, one was an MP, right? He's, um, he's on this uh, committee for uh, suicide and for inequality, and he said this, as a society... We have a responsibility for why this TV is made. It's a reflection of ourselves that it's been made at all and that so many people watch it. 
None of this stuff would be made if nobody watched it. It's true, isn't it? It's true. It's one of the most popular daytime TV programs that's on free-to-air TV. Massive audience share, but he's right. It wouldn't be made if no one watched it. And I, I don't know if you've seen it, but it is it's horrible. It's, it's really horrible. Uh, people from often vulnerable people uh, who, are, who are sort of dysfunctional, uh, put on this show, uh, often manipulated to be there, and their, 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 all their personal lives come out, spilling out all their adulteries, all their family feuds for entertainment, basically. So it, I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of horrible, but he, he's right. It wouldn't be made if no one watched it. So why do we watch it? Well, here's the other thing that I thought was really interesting that I read. Uh, a guest who was on the show um, was interviewed. He was kind of abused quite badly as a result of being on the show. People kind of said, oh, he's the most hated guest ever, and he, he was a bit of a mess. And he said... After his experiences, I used to watch, laugh, and judge the people who appeared on Jeremy Kyle. But now I feel sorry for them. Interesting, isn't it? What an insight. A moment of honesty. Why do people watch that show? They kind of like to judge. <laughs> like to know there's someone who's worse off than them. Like to know that, oh, at least they're not as bad, at least I'm not as bad as them. At least there's someone who's, who's different to me. We, we kind of like to have a superiority. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of a feeling of, of you're different to me that causes division. And it runs so deep into the human heart. And it actually, it's funny, it actually works the other way as well. It's not just a superior feeling that results in division. It's actually an inferior feeling that also results in division. Going into a group of people and saying, oh, I could never be like them. I'm, I'm rubbish. I'm not enough. I, I, I could never measure up. I don't fit in here. It's also kind of... Distancing, it causes division between you and that group of people. Whether it's superior or inferior, what's the root of it? Really, it's pride, isn't it? If we're honest, it's, it's because we're making our lives about us. Either I'm better or I'm worse. It's still pride, and it's pride that causes division at the end of the day. So maybe we're not so unlike the Ephesian church. Maybe if we look into society and look into our own hearts, we can see division all the time. We can see distance. We can see separations between Groups of human beings, groups of people that God's made in his image. The question is, what's the answer? What's the solution to the divisions in society, the divisions in in the human race? And Paul's answer couldn't be clearer. Paul's answer is Ephesians chapters 1 to 3. Paul's answer is that division is healed and unity is possible in Jesus and only in Jesus It's possible because of the reality of what God has done in Jesus. And that's what Ephesians 1 to 3 is all about. So Paul starts off by saying in chapter 1, here are your spiritual blessings in Christ. If you're following Jesus, he's poured out these blessings on you. This is who you are. This is the reality of what he's done for you. He then prays at the end of chapter 1 for them to know that more, to know their status and their position in Christ. He then goes on in chapter 2, we had it read earlier, to think about who are the recipients of this blessing. Starts at the start of chapter 2 by saying, it's, it's sinners. It's people who were dead. People who were following the ways of the prince of this, this, this world. People who were slaves to their own sinful desires. People who are literally hopeless and lost and helpless in the world. Captured by sin. Children of wrath with no hope. It's those people who God has reached down and saved. Rich in mercy. Rich in grace. In his great love. He has raised us up. Those who trust and follow Jesus to be seated with him. And Paul says, that's what God has done in Christ. And therefore, because he's done that for you, Jew, 
and you Gentile, you can be one. You can be united. There's no more barrier. There's no more hostility. You're united in Jesus. That's the message of Ephesians 1 to 3, and it's only possible in Jesus. Because of that, the church in Ephesus, Jews and Gentiles, could be united. And that is actually our only hope, too. Our only hope is a church. Our only hope is a society. For unity is Jesus. I'll tell you why. Because the source of all our division is pride, right? And the only thing that truly and fully and finally deals with our pride is the gospel. It's the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It's coming to Jesus, crucified, resurrected, ascended, and saying, I've got nothing. I can't offer anything. I've tried. My own resources have come up short. I'm coming to you with open hands. All I can do is receive. I was dead. You've made me alive. Thank you. It's all of you. There's nothing more humbling and nothing more joyful than doing that. And there's nothing more powerful for bringing unity. That's Paul's answer. How can we be united? Only in Jesus. Only at the foot of his cross. That's where true unity happens. But that's not all. We've done one to two. We're going to look at chapter three. And what Paul does in chapter three is, he talks about the purpose of their union. The purpose of why God's done this, to bring Jews and Gentiles, to bring diverse groups of people together as one. Why has he done this? What's our calling as a church? Right, so we're going to look at chapter 3 in a bit of detail now, and particularly focus on one verse, which is just a, a mind-blowing. So, chapter 3, verse 1. Paul starts off, he's about to launch into a prayer. Okay, so he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and he's about to say, I call out to the Father on your behalf, praying this and this and this. Okay, he's about to set up a prayer for them. But he writes down, hold on, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He thinks, I'm writing to Gentile people here. I'm, I'm writing from prison. And I'm really, to be honest, I'm in prison because of them. And I'm a bit concerned they're going to feel bad about that. Or they're going to think that they're going to be discouraged by my being in prison for them on their behalf. So he goes on a bit of a digression to give them confidence in his role and in the gospel that he's been preaching of union between Jew and Gentile. Okay, so verses 2 to 13 of chapter 3 is one big digression. Actually, in the original language, it's one sentence. One big, long sentence, which is basically a kind of big brackets. Oh, by the way, here's, here's why you can have confidence in, in my ministry and in why I'm here in prison. So he does that in verse 2 to 6 by going into a bit more detail about what the gospel is. And he, he talks about it in terms of mystery. Okay, this word mystery is actually quite different the way Paul uses it to the way that we use it. So we think a mystery is something that's kind of hidden and it's, it's shrouded in kind of uncertainty and we don't know the outcome and a mystery is something to be solved, right? For Paul, it's kind of the opposite. A mystery is something that was hidden and has now been revealed. So a mystery is actually, it's very clear. It, it used to be hidden, but now it's, it's revealed. So he's, he, he talks about that in verses 2 to 6. He says this, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly, right? Mystery has been made known. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, right? It used to be hidden. But now, it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Okay, so it was hidden, now it's revealed. What is the mystery? Verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, 
and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that's what he's just been talking about in the letter, right? The mystery is Jews and Gentiles, different groups of people, different backgrounds, can be brought together. Gentiles are going to share in the gospel promises that were given to the Jews. That's the mystery, what he's just been talking about. What he's doing here is giving them confidence in it. He's saying it came from revelation from God. It wasn't revealed in the past, but now it has been through apostles and prophets. You can trust it. Don't worry. I'm not in prison for nothing. This is the real deal. Okay? He's giving them confidence. Then he goes on, verses 7 to 9, to talk about his role in communicating the mystery. He says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So he's basically summarizing his ministry there. He's saying, this is what I was called to do by God, to, to preach the gospel and to bring to light what's been hidden. Okay? And the point is, he, he speaks of it in terms of gift. He says, I might be in prison, but I'm so grateful. This is a gift God's given me to preach this gospel. So don't worry about me. Don't be disheartened on my account. I'm here for a good reason. I'm so thankful for this ministry God's given me. But what he says next, what he says next in verse 10 is absolutely stunning. And this is what I want us to focus on. He goes on and talks about the purpose of his ministry. Why has God called him to do this, to preach this gospel that unites Jew and Gentiles? What's, what's the point of it all? Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Incredible. God's eternal plan from the beginning of time, okay, he, he hasn't changed, it's been his, his plan forever, is to unite together Jews and Gentiles, to have a universal church from all backgrounds, all nations, all tribes, languages, people, tongues, to unite them together so that that church can be a display on a cosmic scale of his wisdom and glory. Wow. The eternal plan of God to bring together people to be a display of his glory. People from different backgrounds, people from different experiences, different life skills, different, different areas, different everything, different ethnicities, bringing them together to be a display of his wisdom. And what I, what I don't want us to miss here is that this is a cosmic display. The, the arena, the stage on which this happens couldn't be bigger, right? Verse 10, the wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, this isn't something we're very good at in the West, okay? Our Western worldview is that down here, there's the physical realm, and we understand that by science and experiment, and that's reliable, okay? Up here is the spiritual realm, and that's got to do with God and ghosts and mysticism, and that's unreliable, that's kind of make-believe, okay? You can't verify that with experiments, so let's stick with the empirical world down here. There's this gap and there's no, there's no communication between the two, okay? That's for the religious folk out there. This is for us scientists, and we'll give you the answers now. That's the Western worldview. And we're told to believe the spiritual world isn't real. Just a little note, outside of westernized cultures, they don't have a problem with this. They're very familiar with the, the spiritual world. 
that's spoken of in the Bible is very real. The world of God and the world of Satan, the world of angels and the world of demons, the spiritual world. Other cultures, it's all over the place. Spiritual influence and you look at, go to parts of Africa, Asia, South America, places that are not sort of influenced by our own values, they'd have a problem with this. The spiritual world is real and the Bible speaks of it as real. God is real. The devil is real. God's angels are real and active in this world. And the devil's demons are real and active in this world. We need to get our heads around that because that's true. That's the way the world is. That's what's happening. And that's what Paul speaks of here. He says there is a spiritual world. There are good and evil powers and forces in that spiritual world. There is a hierarchy in that spiritual world, right? There are rules and authorities. There are people who are in authority over angels and over demons. That happens. And here's what he says. Those rulers and authorities in that spiritual, in that heavenly realm that we can't see but is more real than we realize, those rulers and authorities are looking at the church, God's church, and they're saying, wow. They're looking at the church and they're saying, wow. That word church there, that's referring to the, the global church, okay? God's people across the world, from all tribes, from all nations, from all languages, people in China, people in South America, people in Africa, people in Europe, from all across the world. It's the, it's the global church, God's people, a multicultural family knit together as one. They're looking at that and saying, well, but they're also, that word, that word means the local church. He's looking at the millions of gathered, local gathered groups of God's people across the world right now. They're looking at Trinity Chippenham here on a Sunday afternoon and in our midweek life groups. And when we get together informally and, and meet and encourage each other and pray. And when we text each other and when we do social media on WhatsApp, our church, our community, they're looking at us from all different backgrounds, all different experiences, different hopes, different dreams, different fears, different educations, different ages. And they're saying, wow, this group of people joined together as one. It's a display of God's manifold wisdom. That word manifold there, it kind of means multicolored. It's the word that was used um, to describe in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Joseph's multicolored coat. So it means kind of multi-sided. There's there's different aspects to it, different uh, angles to it. God's wisdom is so uh, perfect and so uh, multi-sided that the the display of the church in all its different uh, backgrounds and um, and experiences is, is a display of his wisdom. It's incredible. And it's happening. It's happening in the heavenly places as we speak. It displays God's wisdom and it displays his glory too. It displays his glory, not just to the watching world, but to the watching angels and the watching demons. We have got no idea. We've got no idea how big this is, how big what we're part of is. So how do we respond to all this, all this going on, this, this, this big picture stuff that Paul talks about? Well, just a couple of ideas, a couple of things. Number one, be united. Be united. If God's plan is to bring together people from different backgrounds, people from different experiences as one, if his plan is to, to, to go down the middle of our divisions and make us united, then we need to be united. We need to live out our calling We're meant to be a church that's one, so be one. So, is there anyone 
in the church who you're not one with? Is there anyone who you're feeling a distance from? Anyone who you're feeling division with? Anyone you're feeling tempted to judge or you think is judging you? Anyone you're tempted to be suspicious of or you think is suspicious of you? Anyone you find it hard to trust? Is there any division? Is there anyone who who the, the enemy is trying to get between amongst God's people? Don't let that happen. Don't let anything undermine the unity of God's church. There's nothing more important, nothing more precious than God's church being united. If there is, if there's someone you're thinking of and you're thinking, yeah, I'm feeling a bit of distance from that person. I'm feeling a bit of division there. Here's some homework. Go away and read Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. Read it through and apply it first of all to yourself. I was dead in my sins. God has reached down and made me alive. God has seated me in the heavenly places. All right? Then go and read it again a second time with that person in your mind. They were dead in their sins. God has reached down and lifted them up. God has seated them in the heavenly places. And then, thirdly, go to Ephesians 2 from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Have both of you in mind and read it and apply it to you both. I'll show you you how it feels. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Powerful, isn't it? Powerful. There's no more powerful force to unite divided people than the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Because when we come together to the foot of the cross, we're humbled. There's no, I'm better than you, or she's better than me, or there's no superior or inferior. It's the great leveler. We're all level on our knees at the foot of the cross where we realize we've got nothing to offer but our sin. Nothing to offer but our brokenness. And God lifts us up together. And God unites us to his son Jesus together. And we're placed together in the heavenly places. And the dividing wall of hostility is broken down. There's nothing more powerful. There's no more powerful force for unity than the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So go there. Be united. Don't let anything come between you and any one of God's family. That's the first thing. Second thing, the way we can respond, be inspired. Be inspired. There's a massive, we all have a a human need to be part of something bigger than ourselves, don't we? And this This is the biggest thing you could possibly imagine. Being part of God's church, being part of a display on a cosmic scale to the rulers and authorities in the spiritual world, there's nothing bigger. You see it all the time, don't you? People need to feel part of something. You see it. That's the reason people are driven to uh, political causes, to, to rallies and marches. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. You see it this time of year, most of all in the, the football stadiums across the country. People whose teams are something bigger than themselves. And you see the elation and the despair as their team wins the cup or loses the cup or gets promoted or gets relegated. People need to be caught up in something bigger than themselves. This is the biggest thing you could ever be caught up in. right? Church sometimes looks and feels small, doesn't it? It sometimes feels weak. right? There are bigger groups of people in Chippenham than this. There's probably bigger churches in Chippenham. There are certainly bigger social groups and organizations and clubs and societies than this. Groups with more attendance, more influence. But there's nothing bigger than what's happening in this room. 
and every other Christian church across this town. Nothing bigger. You might think that when you turn up to do the refreshments or you're, you're buttering your 50th slice of kids' tea or you're, you're up on Saturday evening preparing your kids' group, you might think it feels small. There's nothing bigger you could be involved in. Be inspired. You're part of something bigger than you realize. Just a note that if you're involved in a cause that isn't, uh, doesn't have Christ at the center, you don't have hope for, for unity there. It's only when Christ is at the center of your cause that people can truly be united. And you see this all the time. That's why the marches and the rallies get violent. That's why football fans get hurt. Because people attach themselves to a cause. There's no Christ. There's no cross. And then pride gets in. And what does pride do? Right? Pride divides. And so you start looking down on others. You start wanting to be one up. And mess starts happening. Right? A cause without Christ is a lost cause. It's only in the cause of Christ that we can have true unity. It's only at the foot of the cross, only as we see the, the risen Jesus ascended to where he belongs, and we, we, we come to him broken and empty, that we can be truly together. It's only in Jesus that the, the hostility, the division that so easily comes between us and so easily gets into our own hearts can be overcome. It's only in Jesus. So be united. Don't let anything come between you and another member of God's family and be inspired. You're part of something far, far bigger than you ever realized.